Good morning. Don, I said I would use the lapel mic, and then I left it at my seat. Uh, I'll be all right. Maybe. I can't move that well anyway, so I'll be, I'll be up here. Uh, first of all, just want to uh, bring to your attention, Tommy being Ukraine, it was prayed for earlier. Uh, they have made it there safely and are doing work there, and so keep them in your prayers. Uh, they'll be gone uh, even through next Sunday, so uh, you'll see me twice. Uh, so that's one. And then two, uh, all the songs that we've been singing today, you may be thinking, we've sung these recently. I know we have. Um, all the songs that we sung today are songs that the children have learned in their classrooms uh, on Wednesday. And so it doesn't necessarily go with the theme of the sermon, but uh, they're songs that all the kids uh, have learned on Wednesday nights, and so we wanted to do that. Uh, for them. I want to describe to you my favorite place to be. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but as I describe it, I want you in your mind to go ahead and think about what it is, because I'm going to ask in the end, where is my favorite place? And I'm going to ask for audience participation, and you're going to give me, hopefully, the right answer. My favorite place to be, I walk into this building. I'm greeted with a smile. The receptionist is right there, and I scan in, and I proceed past the front desk. To my right, there's an office or two, and this hallway that leads to this big room filled with people. Most people are dressed in athletic wear, and if not, clothes that one doesn't mind to sweat in. Each person has their own station they are doing their planned activity in. And as I look around to see what this place has to offer, there's a section in the back corner with elastic bands and medicine balls. In another of corner of the room, there's some free weights and ankle weights. And all the way in the back, there's a section for cardio. I don't go there much. Treadmill, elliptical, Bicycles, you name it, you have it. They have it. And across from those are these different kinds of machines used for lifting weights for a variety of different purposes. As you look around the room, you see educational and inspiring posters of various kinds. Famous athletes on the walls, some even locally famous athletes with sayings that remind you that you can do it. I go to my designed area for exercise, and I start working through my list for that day. Where am I? Most. What'd you say, Gary? Psychotherapist is what he said. Most, except for Gary. Most would say that I'm at the gym that I'm in a workout facility of some sorts. But what if I were to add, and my wife got it, and uh, what if I were to add that I was met by a trained professional on my way in who has a doctorate, who's gonna walk me through simple exercises that most of you could do without much effort? Or what if I add that I'm gonna start by laying down on one of 15, 16 tables in the room, and most of my time is spent icing and doing shock therapy. 
along with some of those other things. Where am I? Rehab, physical therapy. I know what you're thinking. How could physical therapy be your favorite place to be? Because as most of you know, I had surgery three weeks back. Um, and so I've been going to physical, speech and physical therapy <laughs> twice a week. And I love going for a variety of reasons. When I say that it's my favorite place, I'm not upselling that. It truly is. And I love going for a variety. One is that in order for me to get back to doing what I love and who I am, I need what physical therapy offers. I met with experts who have answers about my current condition. Hey, so I'm feeling this in my knee. Is that normal? Am I in a place where I can start walking just with one crutch or no crutches? Or can I stand and preach for an hour? Just kidding, I didn't ask that one. <laughs> and I met with answers where they guide me in those decisions. Every person who doesn't work there has an injury that they are working to recover. And as I look around the room, it's obvious as to what their injury is. It could be a shoulder, it could be a hand, it could be a foot. There is no hiding it. Everyone is there to make themselves better, to recover from something that happened. I love getting to know the people and seeing the progress that each is making. I love knowing my progress or areas of concern. I love not being in competition with others, but working toward individual goals collectively. One of the things that I love the most is I love knowing that I'm not the only one and more and others are learning from the same experiences as mine. I love hearing their stories. And so it's not just from the experts that I learn from, but it's other people's experiences as well who have been there longer than I. How did you end up here? What is it that you did? How has this injury changed your life? I spoke to a woman who was uh, right next to me. She's probably in her 50s or 60s, and she had undergone ACL surgery much the same that I had done. I said, oh, how long ago? She said, well, my second surgery, it's been about a month ago, but my first surgery was about seven or eight months ago, and my screw came loose six months into rehab because I did this. So guess what I learned? <laughs> Whatever that was, that's not what I was going to do anymore. I hadn't told my wife this, but I've been spending time in ladders and doing things. After I heard that, I was no longer in ladders and doing some of the things that I had been doing. Whereas before, one of my favorite places to be where I could just let loose, be myself outside of uh, church, was in a gym. I find myself yearning to be with those who are injured and who together are working on a plan to get better. Contrast that when I am spiritually hurting, where I'm spiritually recovering from something. What's bothered me, while physically rehab is the place I want to be, when I'm hurting spiritually, the church is not at the top of my list of places to be. In fact, it might not even be on my list at all. We were pregnant with, well, not pregnant, but we had just had 
Ellie, it was in the middle of a very busy summer. Katie had some complications, and Katie was down for the count after having Ellie for two or three weeks with um, just a, a spinal, spinal headache, and it was awful times. And I'm trying to be at home. I'm also trying to be at camp, and I am exhausted. My family needs me. Camp needs me. Church needs me. And I'm doing all these things, trying to do the best that I can. And at the end of summer, I find myself in this place where there's nothing left of me. And during that time, there was nothing that I was doing to fill myself up. I was in a spiritually neglected place because of circumstances at home out of our control. But it took a toll on me, and I found that the place that I didn't want to be was the very place that I worked. Why do I do that? Why do we sometimes feel that way? That when we're going through something spiritually, when we're wounded, in other words, we are not at our best, we find ourselves not wanting to be in the place that is most needed, in the place that can help us overcome. Maybe you have found yourself in that situation before. Maybe you were spiritually wounded because of a particular sin that you had been holding on to, that you were unwilling to let go, that you thought would just go away, but you found out it's hung on tighter to you and you've hung on tighter to it. Maybe you were in a spiritually wounded place because of a decision that you made that you thought was right and there really wasn't any right or wrong, but the fallout wasn't great. And it took a toll on you, and it took a toll on your relationship with God, and you found yourself in a place you didn't want to be, or maybe you find yourself in a place where you're spiritually wounded because of a decision that somebody else has made for you. So it's not something that you did, but it's something that maybe it was your parents or a friend at school or a coworker. They made that decision, and you find yourself in a place where you are spiritually empty, you're spiritually hurting, you're wondering where to go and what to do. Or maybe you're spiritually wounded because of a decision somebody even within the body made that affected you to a deep level. That you can't grasp your mind around as to why that happened, as to why they treated you that way. And maybe you put your too much faith in people and not enough in God and you find yourself in a place where you're spiritually and utterly drained. And you don't know what to do. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Have you ever found yourself, when you're in a place like that, drawn to a place of worship? I hope that you are drawn to a place of worship, but I know from my experience that's typically not the case. Or when that happens, are you kind of like a magnet, right? Polar opposites. You got the positive and you got the negative, and you're trying to put both of them together, but as much as you try, there's always that distance and you can't seem to quite get it right. And because there is that distance, you find yourself with three options. One, I'm going to choose just to not show up. It's not working for my life right now, so I'm not going to go. Two, I have to go. I, I know it's what I need, so I'm going to go. But as I go, I'm going to censor myself. So in other words, I'm going to go. I'm going to sing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all the things. And if people ask how I'm doing, my answer is... Look, you guys are well rehearsed. I'm fine. I'm great. 
I, I promise the whole sermon's not a Debbie Downer, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to censor myself. I'm fine, but I'm not going to show really what's going on there. Or three, I can find myself not just censoring, but maybe even pretending to be something different. So I put on a mask, and for a few hours a week, I play pretend as to that which is really going on behind the scenes. If you have never found yourself in this position before, praise God. My guess is, if you haven't found yourself in a position like that, you likely know someone who has, or someone who is, or maybe you currently are right now. Why do we do this? Why are there times when the body of Christ, the church, the kingdom of God is the place that we push away when it's what we most desperately need. I don't have all the answers, but I think one of them that we're going to focus on today is that I think for those who are hurting, church can often be perceived by them as a place for the righteous and not for the sinners. As a place for the people who have it all right, and who have it all together. Who often feels most comfortable when they're sitting in the pews or the chairs or participating in class? Usually it's those who've, quote unquote, perfected their walk. You know what keeps people from walking through those doors back there who desperately need help? Is the false impression that those within the doors have no work to do because we've already arrived. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, there are two kinds of people in the world, people who are broken and sinful and know it, and people who are broken and sinful and won't admit it. Jesus dealt with this in his day time and time again. You'd be hard-pressed not to go through the Gospels and find Jesus arguing with those who were religiously correct on behalf of those who were, quote-unquote, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Jesus was constantly fighting for them. He would make it clear, here is why I have come, and here is to whom the kingdom belongs to. Nick read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. If you want to turn there, I encourage you to do so. So Jesus passes Matthew. I think Matthew probably at this point had been watching from afar, seeing what this man from Galilee was doing, seeing what Jesus was all about. And Jesus said, follow me. And that night they have a banquet and they're sitting at the table and Jesus, Jesus reclines and somehow for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they catch wind of what is going on and what is their response when Jesus has called Matthew by the way, tax collector, okay, so tax collector, usually in your mind you're going to go, boo, that's what they would have thought of. A tax collector, why would he then eat with them? If Jesus is who we think he is, then why is he spending time with those we wouldn't spend time with? What is Jesus' response to them? Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and sacrifice because I came for the Matthews of the world. I came for the Rahabs of the world. I came for 
the prostitutes. I came for those that you have shunned away. I have come for the sinners. And if Jesus is the great physician, which I believe he is, then that which Jesus is head of, which Colossians 1 and Ephesians 5 would say Jesus is the head of the church, then I believe that the church is the hospital that Jesus is attending, that Jesus works the grounds, that Jesus does code blues all the time, where he brings people from death to life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 6 put it this way, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's where Jesus gets to work. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he lavished on us, in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, the great physician, his job is to bring back to life those who are dead, those who are sinners, because the hospital... Is for who? It's for those who are sick. The church is for who? It's for those who are sick, for those who are sinners. If you know me, one thing I hate is ho- I don't like going into hospitals. I think I'll probably die a death a, when I'm late because I was too stubborn to go. And if I would have just gone, it would have been okay, but I didn't. Right? Like that's, that's kind of how I envision it going. Right? So the hospital is for the sick, but the sick have to recognize that they are in need of walking through those doors. And Jesus here makes it clear that the hospital is for the sick who do not yet know him. It's for Matthew. Matthew, you are far away from me. Your heart is not near me. You might be drawn to me, but you do not yet know me. Come and follow me. Notice that he didn't wait for Matthew to come to him. Jesus first went to Matthew and called him to follow him. Jesus invites sinners into his hospital. But I think also it's not just those who are sick who do not yet know him. Those outside of these walls that Jesus invites. I think it's also for the sick who do know him, but they don't get it right all the time. It's for us. And I don't get it right all the time. My guess is you don't get it right all the time. Paul would write to 1 Timothy, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, of who I am first, of who I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. All right? We all know the story of Paul, and he's saying, I am the chief of sinners, yet this is what Christ did for me. And I think for Christians, for myself, we don't have a hard time saying, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for those outside these walls. We want them to come in. 
I believe that everybody in here would admit to that and would say, yes, Jesus would eat with even those. But I think we have a tougher time saying that Jesus would even eat with those in this room that mess up over and over again. That's what Paul said about the beginning of his conversion. But before we begin to think that Paul was perfect all throughout because he wrote half the New Testament and he's got lots of wisdom there, keep in mind he also said in Romans chapter 7, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I'll say that again. I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot, for whatever reason, I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, what? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that lives in me. Little audience participation, it's a yes or no question. Did Paul continue to sin? Yes. Ah, we'll do that again. <laughs> Some of you weren't convinced. Did Paul continue to sin? Yes. If I'm honest with myself, sometimes I have an easier time accepting those out of these walls than I do accepting the faults of those within these walls, of those who should know better, of those who I would have expected more, or they would have expected more from me. Turn to Luke chapter eight, 18. Excuse me. Katie, can I get a water? Turn to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus told this parable. Jesus told this parable in Luke 8, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. All right, so who's he speaking to? Those who are full of themselves, those who know what's best, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, they both went into the temple. They both went into the hospital to pray that which was on their mind. But only one left justified. It was the one who could recognize, Lord, have mercy on me. 
Notice what the other one did. All he could talk about was the sacrifices that he made. I've given my tithe. I'm not like this. I am like this. I have sacrificed for you. And Jesus has some words to those who would just trust in themselves. And it was the one who was justified is the one who asked for mercy. I don't know if you caught it, but both passages, the one in Matthew 9 and the one, uh, and the one here in Luke 18, when Jesus is dealing with the sinners and the righteous, the word mercy shows up both times. Same kinds of people, tax collector and righteous, those who have it and those who do not. And Jesus' answer to both is mercy. How do we make it in this church here at Glen Allen, how do we make it to where those who are hurting know that they can find healing here? Know that Jesus is the great physician, not just of the church worldwide, but of this church itself. And I think that the answer lies in one word. Mercy. We must be a church that brags about God's love of giving and dishing out mercy every time. That he loves to do it. He doesn't withhold it. He doesn't say, I, I just can't this time. He wants to give mercy. And so we brag about a God who loves to be merciful. Now I know you guys are like, you're leaving half of it off. You haven't talked about justice. You haven't talked about wrath. I got that. It's not for today. It is a God of mercy. And when people come into his hospital, into his church, into our presence, we have to encourage them, encourage ourselves that we are dealing with a God who wants us to beg for mercy. And begging for mercy is knowing where I am at fault and that I was not just in need when I was baptized at 15, but I'm in need as a 34-year-old and a 34-year-old in one day and two days and three days continually. I need to beg for mercy. Why? Because I'm not righteous. I don't have it all right. I need you, Lord. Give me mercy. In Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being the high priest, Jesus the Lamb of God. What I'm trying to hammer into the teens' minds, I don't know if it's working or not. I think sometimes they listen. Sometimes they're like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. What I'm trying to hammer in, right, he says, let us approach the throne with confidence. Why? Because in the end, what's, what's waiting? Can I, can I have a teen shout it out? See, it's not working. <laughs> Grace and mercy. I approach the throne with confidence. Why? Because I know what's on the other side. And that is a God who forgives, a God who gives grace, and a God who shows mercy. And so when I'm going through things and I want to push away, he's actually encouraging me to draw near. Why? Because he's already told me what's going to happen. That if I do, this is what I receive. What's the wait? Why not? Sure, there's shame. And I... I know going into physical therapy, it's not a spiritual battle for me. When we're dealing with spiritual things, Satan is at work. And so you have that added layer of 
That's why I can't make that connection because he's working extra hard to keep me away. But I draw near because I find grace and mercy. So in dealing with God, I think we brag about a God who gives mercy and we encourage people to beg for mercy. In dealing with others, with ourselves, person sitting next to you, your spouse, your kids, what is God's command? Not just to beg mercy in dealing with God, but it's to, excuse me, but it's to desire mercy. What does he say? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's a direct quote from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, right? And the concern in Hosea is not the ritual sacrifice itself, but it's that the sacrifice has taken a place of love and mercy. The sacrifice is not bad. But when it overshadows that which is at the heart of God, love and mercy, then we have done it wrong. And when the righteous person says, I'm glad that I'm not like that, or why are you eating with the Matthews of this world? He gives that kind of rabbinic teaching. Go and learn what this means. Leave, learn, come back. I do believe Jesus wanted them to come back. Go and learn. Have mercy. Because I desire that over sacrifice. Like I said earlier, the righteous man simply talked about the sacrifices that he has made, but Jesus is after his attitude. When you look at a sinner, let your heart break and have mercy. I saw a note on Facebook, uh, just kind of caught my attention. Uh, I ha obviously have kids. Um, but this was a note that was written to a mother who had attended a church, and her kids, I guess, were a little bit loud. And some person wrote this on a note and handed it to her. It said, Dear blank, we have a mother's room where you can watch service with your infant. We have a great nursery where someone will handle children, so you can have a break at worship. Not bad. Kind of nice. The noise is a distraction. No offense intended. Thanks. What did that, whoever wrote the note, what did they do? They didn't respond with mercy, but they responded with, hey, you're distracting me. Do something about it. Mercy has to do with our attitude of how we approach people. And I think the best mercy-given people are the ones who don't make assumptions as to why things are happening the way that they, happening the way that they are. Most of you, Maybe noticed. Maybe you didn't. I'm going to point it out because I thought about it on my drive-in. I'm wearing shorts today. Why am I wearing shorts? A brace. How many of you would under understand that? Can't fit pants over it, guys. Okay? And when I put my brace over pants, it just keeps falling off. Not my pants, my brace. But when you see the reason why, you go, huh, it's okay for today. He better not do it in three months. <laughs> why? Because I'm showing here's what's wrong with me, and you are responding in mercy, merciful. Because you see the reason why. And when we show mercy to others, it's not making assumptions as to why they're doing that which they are doing. 
debated, going back and forth on what I'm about to say. Dare I say, to those who are members here, our view of mercy will determine the direction of this congregation moving forward. We are at a crossroads. We're at a place, honestly, nobody wanted to be. Can everybody agree? We weren't meant to be. And some of you guys may go, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's fine. But a lot of you do know. And I'm not hiding things. I'm, we have no shepherds. We don't want to be here. There's got to be a better way. And we're at this crossroads, and we can choose to move forward, or we can choose to move backwards. And I believe that the path moving forward is responding with mercy. Whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that we've thought about the last two or three years, or what we think the next direction should go, it's responding in mercy time and time again. Mercy is not leaving problems alone. Mercy is not sweeping stuff under the rug. And just letting it pile. Why? Because the rug no longer is functional as a rug. Mercy is not choosing to not deal with. But mercy is bringing up. It's addressing. It's opening. And then it's looking for every opportunity to respond mercifully. Some of you have said, I want to go to that Saturday meeting. And I want to share a piece of my mind. Fine. Make sure you respond mercifully. And leadership, you make sure you respond mercifully. Why? Because mercy moves forward each and every time. So maybe it's the church as a whole that's what we need to look at. Or maybe it's individually in your life where you notice I have not responded in this way to my spouse, to my kids to my coworkers. I just haven't because I haven't thought about it. We need, so desperately need, to become, and this is not an indictment on, I, this is not what I want to talk about today. Desperately need to become people who look for ways, who go out of their ways, who find opportunities to share and extend mercy time and time again. If I'm called to be transparent before God and everyone else in that second parable is called to be merciful to me, okay? I'm called to be transparent before God, right? God forgive me for I am a sinner. And then everybody is called to be merciful for me, merciful to me, then by default, in Jesus' hospital, in his physical therapy center, in his rehab place, I am able to be transparent before others. That's next week's topic because I'm preaching twice. So I don't have to get into that today. But if I'm called to be transparent before God and people are called to respond to me in mercy, then it gives me the opportunity to be transparent before others. Isn't it depressing that the work of the church is made up of broken people? I don't think so. I think what's depressing 
sorry, excuse me. Isn't it depressing that the church is made up of broken people? What's depressing about people allowing God to work on their areas of brokenness? Redemptive work, redemption, coming out on the other side is never depressing, but it's always rejoicing. It's always looking to the light at the end of the tunnel. Imagine what it would look like if we would treat this place more like a hospital rather than a gym of world-class athletes. The gym breeds competition while a hospital, while a rehab center breeds collaboration and celebration where we work together, each having our own things, and we find a way to come out on the other side. We show up and we have exercises that meet the needs that we have. We find others that are in the same boat that we have. And when we find others that are in the same boat, maybe we bring it to leadership and say, hey, there's a lot of us doing this. Can we come up with a tool or an exercise that can help us come from here to a place where God wants us to be? If we treat this place like a hospital of broken people, then what I think we'll find is that we are able to celebrate stories of success because we know I once was here and now I'm here. A lot of us go through broken times in our life and we just let it be, and then we come out the under end, okay, but we never let anybody know that we were broken. Don't you want somebody to celebrate that with you? I've got to let them know. What's going to change the world outside and what's going to change the world inside here is a group of people who celebrate these stories of success, who exercise in the way that each person needs and who work together to collaborate and to celebrate. I think the only difference between the hospital of the church and the one that I'm going to off of Cox Road is one day I hope to leave that one because I'm better. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can celebrate and still know that we have work to be done because it's not going to come into completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the work that's begun in me is so big, the work that's begun in you is so big, that it's going to take a lifetime to complete. But oh, what joy it will be when it is. This place is one you never get to graduate from and say, I don't need it anymore. Why? Because Jesus died and sacrificed himself for the church. Our prayer for you, for me, for us this morning is that we find ways to become merciful, to find the error in our ways and to find uh, avenues in which we can celebrate others and encourage them in their walk. If this is you, if there's anything that we can pray, if you'd like to be baptized into Jesus because you know that first one, I am a sinner and I am in need of mercy. We would encourage you to do that as we stand and as we sing.